night. Today I want to talk about grace and the second commandment. We are in our series on Romans, and today we're going to be addressing that. When I say the second commandment, I'm not dealing with do not make any gods after your own image, you know, false gods, the second commandment that given in the Ten Commandments. I'm dealing with the second greatest commandment that Jesus responded to that we'll read that text in Matthew 22 here in a second. You know, uh, you know, we look at Jesus sometimes as just such a tolerant Savior. He's just he's full of pity and he's full of compassion and just tolerating our weaknesses and coddling us and, and showing compassion to our sins and our, and our shortcomings. And we, we don't look at Jesus enough as one who is actually a giver of mandates. And uh, we're, we're addressing in this section of our series on Romans, we're really, we're really addressing what I brought to you a few weeks ago when I preached that sermon, How Shall We Then Live? And our text was Romans 12.1. Okay, therefore I, I beseech you, brothers, I beg you, brothers, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And what we're seeing now, the rest of the book of Romans, is how a, a life that is offered to God what that looks like practically in a number of different areas. Pastor Pete preached on finding your place in the church and finding your gift and your ministry and the way God wants to use you. That's one of the ways I live out an offered life. The other was responding to authority. Tamar dealt with honoring authority and relating to authority last week. Today, we're going to deal with with uh, with the mandate to, to love one another. And I know love is such a um, simple really simple concept in, in, in one sense. It's love. We have so many songs of love and programs on love, and what the world needs now is what? Of sweet love. Yeah, thank you, Diane Warwick. Okay, and uh, Dion Warwick, okay, back in the days. Okay, yes, the, it's a nice, easy concept, but it's not easy to live out. Have you noticed that? For such a simple commandment, it's difficult. It's difficult for me. I find that I have hostility in my heart at times. I find that I don't want to um, do what Sue needs me to do. I, I, I find I don't want to cooperate with my wife. I, I find that sometimes it's hard to love people in the church. There are a few neighbors that I have a hard time loving. We had a great lesson here just recently where my next-door neighbor really liked my dog, Jupy, and... Uh, Sometimes, sometimes he actually called, you know, the authorities on me with my dog, Jupy. But, uh, but uh, after Jupy died, he grieved very much, and the neighbors felt really sorry for my neighbor that I had to put my dog down. So the neighbors brought you know, him gifts and blessings, and one of my neighbors made a statue for him of my dog. And so he has my dog, his Jupy on his dog tag, looks just like my dog, on his post, staring at my house from his driveway. And so it's just a reminder, you know, how much I just need to love my neighbors and, uh, okay, and, and, and love them. It's just an eternal reminder to forgive every day. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And uh, I have a pretty good relationship with him, but he has done a lot of things that made me, force me to have to love him. And uh, we all that way. So, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing is we have simple concepts that is a real challenge to, to fulfill. It requires something from me, and it requires something from you that's, that's hard for us, and that's to deny ourselves for the sake of others. So let's get into our text, text today. There's two I want to just bring out first the teachings of Jesus. Matthew 22, 
a teacher of the law came to him, a lawyer, actually, and he says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus is quoting what is called the Shema. The Shema actually was a prayer that Jews prayed. Some teach that they would pray it kind of all through the day. Others, it was two times a day. They would, they would quote this from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and might, heart and strength. And they would quote this, and it was part of a, a prayer. And the Shema means hear, hear, O Israel, hear. But it wasn't just hear, but take, take it in. Take it to your heart, what God wants you to do, to, to embrace his will and uh, putting it to actions. And, and that's what the Shema meant. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're to, you're to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And, and, and besides that, you're supposed to also, in hearing and taking it to heart, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul picks up this thought in Romans chapter 13. Paul goes and says this. I got a, I got kind of a feedback, Pete, and I got no one back in the booth there. Oh, thank you, buddy. I, I, I'm uh, echoing a little bit up here. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, Paul starts listing, especially the commandments that deal with our relationship with one another. You got two aspects of the Ten Commandments. You got four of those commandments that deal with our relationship with God, six that deal with a relationship with man. Because for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this particular word, love, of course, what's, what's taking place here is Paul is quoting the Shema himself as an ex-rabbi. He's, he's bringing that thing as part of the law, the core of the law, the spirit of the law is to love your neighbor. He's using not the word filio in the area of love, that you love your friend and friendship, the affection of friendship, but he's, he's using the word agapao which means that I'm loving sacrificially, I'm loving out of commitments, the type of love that God has for the world, even though the world is full of undeserving sinners, he still has that love. That's the type of love he's talking about. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides, this you know the time. <clears throat> I, I can read. Besides, this you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. Now, our goal today, what's our goal today? Our goal today is really simple, and that is to commit ourselves to love radically. I like adverbs. They put a little bit more punch to a word. Not just to love, but to love radically. To go the extra mile. To stand out. 
to every time you leave your house, how am I going to engage the world in which I live in? How am I going to live for other people? We want to get radical about this thing called love. So let's break, let's break down Paul's teaching here in Romans 13. He First, he says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, the question is this. Is this personal debt Paul's talking about, that you should not be in any personal debt? Or is he dealing with a thing called unpaid taxes? Now, debt is a, was allowed in the Old Testament economy. It wasn't what you want to strive for, but, but debt was there. In fact, the law pro pro prohibited someone to loan their brother money, which created a debt with interest. Okay, so it was allowed. It, it's part of our economy. Just look at the banking system. For instance, in 2019, the bank, you know, J.P. Morgan, uh, they, they make just off of their loan program with interest, they make $50 billion a year just in interest alone off their loans. It's part of the economy in the United States. So I'm not here to guilt-ridden somebody where I think Paul is dealing with this thing. Obviously, we don't want to be an obligation to people, and we want to be free to move. But the, but the heart of this and the context of this is he's dealing with the issue of taxes. When he's, when he's addressing this, pay honor to whom honor is due and respect to whom respect is due and basically give unto Caesar, it's what, what uh, Tamar was addressing last week, give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You know, pay your taxes, honor them for their services. Actually, Paul, in the first part of Romans 13, is getting a little bit Levitical here. He's going back to the theocracy, uh, the theocracy of, of the Old Testament where your tithe supported a lot of services that you received as a Jew. But now, as citizens of Rome, the same type of thing. Pay them for their, for their services and, and uh, render to them the honor that's due for them that the, for, because they provide services that you and I received. And, of course, we receive, all of us here, no matter if you're a pure capitalist, and I feel I'm a pure capitalist, we still receive services from, from those that uh, make their money from, from taxes. And uh, now, but Paul also says that there is a debt to pay off. And the debt to pay off is the debt of love. I mean, because we have been loved and, and God has come to us that was undeserving and shown us love. Now, out of that, what Jesus has done, now we are to reciprocate that and to love other people radically in the same nature. And it's an unlimited debt, okay? It's a... It goes on and on and on. It's a debt that cannot be paid off. And we have to, do, we, we're responding to the grace of God by loving radically others our whole time here on earth. Now, we want, as Christians, we don't want to be in the place of taking. We want to be in the place of giving. You think that's a, a better witness? As Christians, we don't want to be in a place of attacking. We want to be in a place of honoring. As Christians, we want to, Make sure that we're in a place of cooperating, not in a place of resisting, as long as our conscience is not violated. We want to, we as followers of Jesus, we need to do this. We need to live in peace with society and with all people. Of course, this is what a, really an, a life of offering looks like. It means that you're a good citizen. It means you get along well with the police means you get along well with your civil authorities. Get along well with 
the agendas of your community as long as they don't violate the scriptures. You're, 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 a, you're a model citizen to be cooperative and help them move forward. That's, that's who we are. That's what Paul's dealing with in the context of this particular letter, how we live in relationship to society. We do not want to be people who contribute to anarchy. We don't want to be people that wear authority down. We want to be people who are people who serve and we lift burdens and we help and we cooperate and, we, and uh, people enjoy us and people are blessed by us. That's the type of people that we need to be, even with those that maybe we politically differ that with. We still have to have that particular spirit. Paul goes on, and he, and he starts talking about the commandments. He starts breaking them down. And uh, he says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet or any other commandment. You know, that the issue with these, these sins, it's not just that they offend God, and it's not just that we resist his will for our life. How many people know that the essence of God is love, and his commandments are out really to bring life to us. It's not to bring bondage to us. They're meant to liberate. They're meant to bring life and enlightenment and blessing and honor. But when we violate these sins, we not only offend God and separate ourselves from God, but we destroy people. Adultery destroys people. I don't care if Frank Sinatra saying, you know, strangers in the night. Committing adultery, strangers in the night. Okay, I don't care now how nice it sounds in a Vegas nightclub, okay, what was the 1950s and early 1960s, it's adultery. It affects not only the person you're committing that act with, you could be, you're, 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 you're messing, you're destroying that person's spouse or future spouse or future children or family and their conscience and their spirit and we, we, we have failed to even talk about the ramifications of sexual relationships outside of marriage and their absolute destruction in people's lives. My office is filled for years with people who are still working with the residual effects of those decisions and how they destroyed themselves with that. We're dealing with, we're, we're dealing with love. We're, we're dealing, you shall, not, you shall not murder. That's obvious. But just think of the grief that people go through when someone just dies in their family, whether through sickness or an accident or it's just natural, you know, they grow old and something takes their life, then just the grief of loss. Take that and just add murder to it where it's a sudden thing, just someone takes it out. I mean, it, it's just evil. You shall not steal. I don't know if you've ever had anybody ever rob you. And uh, it's such a defilement on you as a person. You feel so like evil has come against you. How many people have had just something stolen? It's a horrible feeling like, why would the person want to come and do that to me? And uh, you feel so invaded. I remember one time when we used to live from hand to mouth and paycheck to paycheck, and Sue went to Fred Meyers. We had one car, and she bought two weeks' worth of groceries, and, and I went to get a tire on our car, and she had it. She got the groceries right outside the, the you know, the automatic doors, and she just stepped inside to check the clock, waiting for me to pick her up, walked out, someone stole all our groceries. Now, the credit of Fred Meyer, they took my receipt and they replenished it all. But, and I, I found the guy that did it years later, and I wanted, I thanked him. You don't remember this, what you did for my wife and I, but I want to let you tell you a story what you did for us. But I remember the feeling 
Why would someone want to do so much evil towards us? There's evil that comes against you as a person. Love does no wrong against his neighbor. Paul's laying these things out, that, that, that these things destroy people. Love automatically fulfills the moral mandates of the law. Why would I covet what you want? Why can't I be a cheerleader in your corner? Why can't I celebrate your new car? Why can't I celebrate that, you know, you get to go to Hawaii without a, without a COVID test, okay? And I don't, okay? Why, why, you know, why would I celebrate, you know, you're, you got a raise when I'm behind now, two months behind my mortgage? Why would I do that, okay? okay because I'm called to love you. Because I gotta, I gotta, I'm, I'm going to love you with all of my heart. Now, when Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't saying, go, you got to first go learn how to love yourself. Take a self-love class and, you know, course and take some tests to find out how special you are so you can love yourself and then you can love people. He wasn't talking about, he was assuming you already think a lot about yourself. Now this morning, man, I really worked on my hair. I got here, I had a cow look that went down the other side. Both Sherry and Brittany were working on me, okay? Bob, you look a little bit disheveled today okay but the issue is we, we do take enough time to care for ourselves Jesus is saying listen take care of your neighbor as much as you take care of yourself it's an automatic thing there okay love is cheering people on love is not wanting to bring evil on them love is not wanting to destroy themselves or their family that that's love and Paul goes on to say here things are summed up Summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course, the question is always, who's my neighbor? That's what the lawyer asked Jesus. Who's, the, who's my neighbor? And of course, Jesus defined who our neighbor was. It was the Samaritan. Now, to us, that doesn't mean anything. I can put another name in there. How about a jihadist? I'm going to put, put a little name. Just, 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 just to capture the intensive hatred between a Samaritan and a Jew. Let's put a real name in there, what Jesus called our neighbor. In other words, it's inclusive of all people is our neighbor. That's what Jesus was talking about. And as summed up, we are to love our neighbor and think of them as we would think of ourselves. Bob Goff, if you ever read any of his books, one of his books is Everyone Always. And he has these books of just living a radical lifestyle of loving people. Paul goes on to say that love does no, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Our, our lives are to be shaped by the gospel and the way that we relate to other people. The gospel, as you know, means good news. Literally, the good news does this. It takes yokes off of people. It breaks yokes off of people. So as those <clears throat> who are doing no wrong to our neighbor, <clears throat> those of us who are shaped by the gospel, what we need to do is we need to break yokes. We don't need to create yokes. In other words, I, I want to make sure that my words bring life to you. I want to make sure my decisions bring life to you. I want to make sure that whatever things that we do, it's always a win-win scenario between me and you. I want to do business so it's fair between me and you. <clears throat> I want to make sure that, that when I'm done with my relationship with you, you feel closer to God, you feel more uplifted, you feel edified, 
you feel impacted in a very positive way. I want to be a yoke breaker. Not someone's going to put a yoke of stress on you, a yoke of brokenness on you, a yoke of pain on you, a yoke of rejection on you. We're yoke breakers. That's how we fulfill the law. We automatically fulfill what the law says in doing that. And then Paul says this. It's interesting. He changes course here. Besides this, <clears throat> you know the time <clears throat> that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Uh, J.B. Phillips says that you wake up to reality. And so he's kind of bringing, a, it's, kinda, it's wake up time. This is reality time. What's the reality? He says, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul is tying this mandate to, know, to love other people, inclusive of all people. He, he's tying this mandate that how... How, to how we should live prior to the second coming of Jesus. You need to wake up to the reality that the world's just not going to continue on. It's, history is just this endless continuum of one event after another event that goes centuries after centuries after centuries and will turn into dystopia and the Hunger Games and everything else. No, 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 no. That's the way the world looks at history. That life just goes on and on and on and on. We look at history that it's God is determining all things to work together for a conclusion, and it's called the second coming of Jesus. And what marks us during this time is love. Love is what marks us during this time. You know, if you look at how the early church impacted the Roman Empire, there's a lot of factors if you study if you're a geek like me and you study early church history, which I study a lot of, and there's four or five factors why Christianity got launched forward with such influence. But one of them is that they were unbelievably different in the way that they loved. One of the great critics of uh, Christianity in the second century, a Roman philosopher, said, you know, all they are is a bunch of slaves and poor people and women. Sorry, women. Okay, yeah, so great. But one of the things Christianity did is they gave women a place of dignity that no other place did in the culture of that time. They, the church was really successful amongst the poor. Paul said, you see your calling. There's not many mighty or noble or you know, gifted and rich and influential and powerful are called. God's chosen the despised of the world. It did make up of those masses. But because of they love, but they just didn't love people in the church. They had a care for the poor in the Roman Empire that was unprecedented. And that love absolutely impacted people's thinking. And that's when the nobility started getting converted. You know, Constantine's mother was a Christian. How did they touch these noble men and women? Because they saw the way that they loved people. What was true in our birth is true in our finish. We're going to be known in the last days for our love. Remember that old Christian Jesus people song we used to sing? Come on. We are Christians. Come on, here we are. No, we are Christians by our love. Sounds so nice, isn't it? It's so true. It is so true. Not by us being honorary, not by us being uncooperative, not by us, you know, just railing on people online, 
Not by us, you know, just not being a good neighbor. Not because we just get cold-hearted against someone who it believes everything against what I believe, but I can radically love them and break down those walls. Not changing my convictions, but winning them by my absolute commitment to them. That's what Paul's talking about. Wake up to reality. We're coming to the end. I don't know when the second coming of Jesus is. I know it seems right now that things are pretty shaken and rocking and rolling. Who knows? If we're stepping into the period of the, of the end times, maybe we're on a 100-year track to the second coming of Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. I just know this, that it's time for us to wake up to that reality if this was true in the first century. And so Paul says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Now Paul uses these metaphors of darkness and light, darkness speaking of spiritual ignorance, speaking of rebellion, speaking of um, evil. It's interesting that especially in these days, when those days when the Bible was written, especially in the New Testament period, but even today, most violent crimes are done at night. It's just associated with that evil thing. It's a much, you're much more comfortable jogging at 6 a.m. in the morning than at midnight. I remember going jogging late at night. I used to love running late at night. I was always looking for someone to jump me. Okay. It, was, it was enjoyable, but it was nerve-wracking too. So, but, the, but the issue is, it's a picture of that light is this picture of righteousness and, <clears throat> and God's kingdom and <clears throat> God's love and God's truth. And, and Paul uses these particular, cast off darkness and evil and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Now note that there is a conflict between the world and there's a conflict between Christianity or those who are being shaped by the gospel. The gospel and the world are in a conflict. The gospel tells us to live radical, sacrificial lives for people. The world lures us and tempts us to live a life of excessive indulgences. And that's the tension that we live under. And we can start naming, you know, we gotta not do this and taboo to this and taboo to that, but we gotta get to the root. The root is that we're, we're being lured into excessive indulgences. And I think as a Christian, we need to be careful about any indulgence that we have to make sure it's not drawing me away you may seem real innocent just into this thing where I'm living for myself, to express myself, to please myself, to cater to myself. It gets into sexual stuff. It gets into habits. It gets into how you relate to alcohol. It gets into how you do business. It gets into how you love people, how you don't love people, what a good neighbor you are. It gets into all sorts of indulgences. The world just says, get excessive. The Bible says, deny yourself radically for the sake of other people. That's the great tension. In the last days, this is what marks us. And so Paul's final exhortation is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Interesting story in church history. A man by the name of Augustine, a very, very troubled philosopher who was an absolute party animal, immoral, a ladies' man. Tormented in his own journey between philosophy and Christianity, heard a child's voice singing in Latin, saying, take up and read. And there was a scroll next to him. As he picked up this scroll, he read this verse. 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this playboy was asked to make no provision for the flesh, and he was converted and became one of the greatest theologians of church history. You know, to put on Jesus means to live a self-forgetting life. Jesus said, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. It's putting on Jesus. I mean, we got to be able to not get petty and shake things off. We got to be like our New Yorker friends. Forget about it, okay? It's, one person said that. Forget about it, okay? Oh, I got kind of hurt. Just pull up, rub some dirt on it. Get back up, okay? There's bigger fish to fry. Come on. Shake it off. Come on. We got a job to do. This will too will pass. Sue said that to me this morning, okay? This too will pass. We got to get an attitude that we get up. What do we do? We love. Man, you're going to show kindness. People are not going to return it. Love anyway. You're going to give your heart to somebody. They'll break it. Love anyway. That's what Mother Teresa said. I mean, this is what we're going to do. So our question that I want us all to reflect on this week is real simple. What does it look like to you to love radically? And so, Lord, such a simple concept. I pray today that this simple concept is a great challenge for us to die to ourselves, to live radically in this realm and impact our community. And Lord, the challenge of this is not as easy as the principle. Easier said than done. So work this grace in our heart. Do a mighty work in and through us. And we thank you in Jesus' name that your grace has given us everything we need to shine as lights in this time of history. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to look at CHC this week and your email this week. And uh, any other announcements, Pastor Pete, we got? Just keep checking the realm. We're communicating all the time. God bless you. You're a great church.